Hello and welcome to Doc to Me. My name is Heather. And I'm Kathleen. And this week we are continuing our discussion of the confession killer. Bum, bum, bum. Did he do it? No. <laughs> Before we get into that, you can follow us on Twitter and or join our Facebook group. Info for that can be found in the show notes. If you would like to email us comments or suggestions or donate to us at PayPal, our email address is doctomepod.com. Anything you want to add? Please. <laughs> Please talk to us. We get real lonely. It's just being a three-year-old all day. I'm going crazy. <laughs> just got back oh no that vacation wasn't fun no (laughs) being with your own family for that many days (laughs) is hell and you only had like one edible (laughs) that's why you gotta do like we do where we plan out states where stuff's legal and then you have the best time at that zoo oh man (laughs) lost my mind when i saw they had guinea pigs (laughs) <laughs> I remember your text fondly. <laughs> Before you take two edibles, make sure you're not doing anything exciting. All right, let's get into this. Episode three, we start off in Dallas, Texas. Woo! The first interview up is Linda Irwin, the first woman in the Dallas PD homicide unit. That had to be horrible. Just imagine the harassment. She talks about going down to Georgetown to talk some cases with Lucas and to make sure to bring a carton of Pam Ale cigarettes. I wasn't happy to learn I smoked the same brand as Henry Lee Lucas, but I was slightly classier and went with the greens, though, so I'm slightly better. It's like a gross after dinner mint. (laughs) I felt good knowing I'm slightly better than this one-eyed Ford tooth drifter. He tells Linda, uh, it's also the same cigarettes my grandma smokes. <laughs> Is that weird? I smoke the same. <laughs> I feel like everyone's grandma smokes those. <laughs> like anytime she'd come over, I'd be like, oh, yes. Take one of those. He tells Linda about 10 murders he remembers committing in Dallas and even shows her some drawings he's made of the victims. And she just lets him talk and talk all while knowing None of them match up to any unsolved She's murders. She's like, nobody has died like that. <laughs> she goes back to Dallas and tells her supervisors the dude's full of shit. They in turn tell her to just make up a case with a fake victim, fake medical reports, fake evidence, just to have fun and get creative. That would be my dream. <laughs> I looked up crime statistics in Dallas and it was like at its highest in the 80s and early 90s. So I feel like Linda might have had better things to do, but whatever. She's got to, like, pull one over on him. (laughs) She goes back to Lucas with this fake case, and he just completely makes up a story about how he murdered this woman, too. So now Linda has definite proof this guy is just making shit up, and the Texas Rangers are idiots. Behind the scenes, we go back to Vic Fazell and Hugh Ainsworth working together to prove Lucas couldn't have committed all the murders he claimed he did. And on April 14th, 1985, the Dallas Time-Herald released their article. Hugh kind of becomes a hero to all these people who had been screaming about this guy being a phony. And I love that the Texas Rangers response was, Ainsworth Ainsworth must have gotten his facts wrong. Yes, yes, I'm sure that he didn't fact check. He was literally going off information that they had. (laughs) Cops will never admit when they're wrong. 
Vic wants to hold a grand jury to figure out how Lucas had all this information about crimes and to take him out of custody of the Texas Rangers, which is pretty brave of him to go against state police. And the Rangers are treating Vic as the enemy, just trying to make them look dumb, which, no, he's doing his fucking job. Clearly, there's some issues with how you guys are just fine with accepting whatever this dude says and just letting right. murderers Let's just take it at face value free. and, like, whatever. Yeah. Clemmy, Lucas's spiritual advisor, talks about going to Waco to visit Lucas and how he was just in this horrible state, eating tomatoes when he hates tomatoes. Oh, the humanity. And he was crying all the time. It's like, was he really crying or was it that weird leaky eye socket? <laughs> and what the fuck is up with that leaky eye socket? Like, you really notice it later. I mean, I feel like if you really only have one working eye, sometimes it's overworked. My dad only had one eye. And he never had that issue. <laughs> and now Lucas is confused on if he really did commit these murders or not. Just really puts on a show for this woman. And this mean old man, Vic Fazell, is confusing Lucas and quoting Bible scripture to him, which is exactly what Clemmy had been doing to get him to confess. Okay, but he's not a woman. <laughs> Named Clammy. Waco holds a press conference where Lucas admits that he's been lying for two years and hasn't committed any of these murders. The cops had been feeding him information and were so desperate to close cases, they didn't even really question him on wrong information. Just, he said he did it, so he did it. Yeah, they just rolled with the punches. They're like, oh, okay, that sounds right. Yeah, okay. Why, why would someone lie? Nobody lies. Who would confess to murders? In fairness, he's not an innocent dude. <laughs> No. Like, he did kill his mom, Kate Rich, and Becky Powell. Those are proven. Texas Rangers, of course, act like they did nothing wrong. He says he did the crime, so of course we believe him. He just wanted to please us. I'm shocked they didn't just shrug their shoulders and go, I don't know. People were telling you he's lying, and instead of investigating, they hunker down more. Like, this shit is on you. Also, maybe, I don't know, don't reward him with a fucking strawberry milkshake anytime he opens his mouth. Like, what are they saying? They were having to get six a day, and they asked if he wanted them all at one time or throughout the day. <laughs> and he goes, so I disgusting. want them all at one time. And I'm like, oh, my God. So they're just, like, melting. And he's just drinking up the soup milk. That's so gross. But also maybe that's why he only has four teeth. <laughs> it's a lot of fucking milk. So now district attorneys all over the country had to come out and publicly acknowledge that they had to drop cases against Lucas and even the Debbie Williamson case, which had to be a relief for her parents who had been saying all this time they didn't believe he had anything to do with their daughter's murder. And about that crime, Lucas said, I know where the house was because they drove me there. And I knew there was a car in the carport when the murder happened because I could see it in the crime scene photos they showed me of the body. Like, it's baffling. So now the war is on. All of a sudden, this television reporter, Charles Duncan from WFAA Channel 8. <laughs> started, every time they say WFAA, that's all I hear. Channel 8 starts reporting on Vic's time as a DA in connection with an investigation ran by the Te Texas Department of Public Safety. So basically, the state police start a smear campaign. They accuse him of taking bribes, not charging people who assaulted police officers, which you think that would be in the news. And being involved in drug rings. <gasps> Charles Duncan ran an 11-part series over three months, which seems excessive. Because of all this, the case investigating the Texas Rangers is conveniently dropped, and Lucas is returned back to Georgetown into their custody again. 
And then we learn that James B. Adams, who was in charge of the Texas Rangers, used to be second in command under J. Edgar Hoover at the FBI. So he's using all the FBI tactics. If you know anything about the FBI's history, like it explains how he acts the way he does. Vic's home phone is wiretapped and his dog, who would bark at strangers, mysteriously dies from poisoning. And he starts getting threatening phone calls. It gets to the point where the deputy sheriff follows him to and from his house to make sure he stays safe, which is crazy for that small area. It's fucked up. September 17th, 1986, Vic pulls into the courthouse for work and is arrested by the FBI for taking bribes, racketeering, and mail fraud. Seven weeks before election day. Very convenient. His defense attorney has to be related to Gary Busey, right? (laughs) He sounds like him. He's got those big teeth. And I love how cocky Vic is during all of this, and rightfully so, because if you haven't figured it out, it's all bullshit charges. Right. He knows that it's just a vendetta against Give it, like, him. Thumbs up to the cameras and smiling. He's facing 80 years in prison, and the best part is he wins his re-election with all of this going on. Vic is found not guilty of all charges on June 29th, 1987. The only evidence shown to the grand jury to indict him was the 11-part series Charles Duncan did. <laughs> They're like, we're going to need you to watch all of these episodes. <laughs> and Charles only got his information from ties to people associated with the Texas Rangers. Makes sense. He went back to work as district attorney of McLennan County and resigned September 1988 before the end of his term. I guess the publicity and knowing that you can't trust the police... Yeah, it kind of puts a damper on the job. Yeah, not that I blame him. Um, He would later be awarded a $58 million judgment for libel charges against WFAA, Channel 8, which at the time was the largest libel judgment in U.S. history and put him in the 1993 edition of Guinness World Records. The libel judgment would later be dismissed as part of a settlement. The new amount has never been disclosed, but I'm sure he did just fine. After all of this, the Lucas task force falls apart and Lucas is finally sent to prison to death row with a total of 11 convictions. And then episode three ends with the biggest cliffhanger. Becky Powell on CNN saying she is shocked to learn that she's dead. Hmm. And then they don't even get to that till like the very end of the fourth episode. <laughs> I know. It's just like, what the hell, man? <laughs> okay, episode four. We start with another family member of a murdered victim Lucas had claimed. November 5th, 1978, Ninfa Shepard Lambert's sister, Rita Salazar, had gone to Highland Mall in North Austin to see a movie with her boyfriend, Kevin Key. They saw Midnight Express, which is a fucking rough movie to watch on a date. (laughs) Have you seen it? No, I have not. Oh, man. I can't remember where it is. I think it's an Asian country where a guy gets arrested and accused of, like drug smuggling or something and it's not a good time in prison Uh uh-oh like oz shit oh god (laughs) so not a fun movie on their way back to waco the car ran out of gas and rita's father later says he spotted them walking along the highway but he didn't recognize his daughter so he never stopped that's rough the guilt and neither one is seen alive again So that was on a Sunday, and by Tuesday, Rita's family hears a report on the radio about a female body being found in McLennan County. And right away, they know. After talking with police, they find out Kevin's body had been found in Georgetown after being shot in the head six times. 
I've also read nine, Seems either way, excessive. too many times. Rita was found in Waco in a field with a gunshot to the back of her head. It looked like she had been running away. 1984, we have footage of the Texas Rangers and Lucas at the scene of where they found Kevin. Lucas claims this is a crime that he committed with Otis. He says they spotted two kids having car problems and as soon as Kevin stepped out of the car, Otis shot him. Which doesn't make sense when before the dad said he saw them walking. They kidnap Rita and shoot her 55 miles away while she is carrying a sweater. And Jim Boutwell corrects him and says, well, actually it was 56 miles away. Like, no, I have issues. <laughs> Number one, he knew she was carrying a sweater during the middle of pitch dark night while she's running through a field away from him. How would you be able to see that? I should mention, like, if you killed that many people, how the fuck are you going to even remember that kind of detail? Yeah, number two, hundreds of murders he's committed. Somehow he remembered that it was roughly 55 miles between crime scenes. There's no way they're driving and, like, paying attention to the mileage meter and, like, yeah, this is a good spot. Yeah. Like, we planned. drove 55, 56 miles. And based on the police's timeline, they didn't stay in town to find out that information in the newspaper because they would have already been on the other side of the country. So how would they have known the mileage? Actually, we know he was fed that information, but we'll get to that later. Regardless, the family is happy knowing that someone had been arrested, arrested for this crime. We get slightly closer to Lucas' execution date, 1998, and man, prison has been good to him. But those milkshakes really started to add up because... The man's got some meat on his bones. <laughs> Dude, six milkshakes a day? That's a lot of fucking calories. He got big. At this point in time, there hasn't been any death row inmates granted clemency since the death penalty had been reinstated in Texas in 1976. Because we love killing people with taxpayer money. We do. Yeehaw. Guns up. And just to repeat our stance, we here at Dr. Me Podcast are against the death penalty. <laughs> So he's being put to death for the killing of Debbie Jackson, even though it's well known by this point that he wasn't involved. No. <laughs> we see some of an interview between Boutwell and Lucas where Boutwell is very obviously given Lucas the information he needs. Quote, you said you picked them up in Louisiana, but they were taken from here. Why don't you look at the crime scene picture again? <laughs> but no, you're right. You never fed him any evidence. The biggest red flag on Lucas telling the truth is the story of Carolyn Cervenka, who was a young lady that disappeared. Lucas claimed he killed her, raped her, dismembered her, and left the parts along a road. He even remembered the jewelry she was wearing. She was eventually found in her car at the bottom of a lake, still in one piece, and the autopsy, autopsy showed she suffered an epileptic fit, which caused her car to drive off into the water where she drowned. But he knew the necklace she wore. So he's, like, better than Miss Cleo. <laughs> Call me now. R.I.B. I'm sorry. Ass is ready. That was actually Miss Cleo <laughs> saying, fuck you. <laughs> you weren't even Jamaican. <laughs> Something interesting that happens is after Vic Fazell won that lawsuit and left the district attorney position... He went on to represent Lucas in all his still pending murder cases. Like, you'd think he'd just went away from this guy. Yeah. He, he wanted to make sure he wouldn't be convicted for any more false confessions. Which, you know, sounds like a stand-up kind of thing to do. And he believes the only murder Lucas committed was the death of his mother. My only problem with Vic is he knows Lucas is a liar. Yeah. 
it's been well established and yet he believes him when Lucas says Becky Powell is still alive. They had stopped at a truck stop and when he came out to the car she was climbing into an 18-wheeler and never came back and he had been receiving letters from her from Missouri. So Vic hires a private this part is like fucking insane. <laughs> Vic hires a private detective. It's like a lifetime movie. Yeah, they go to Missouri to meet this woman, and she says she is Becky Powell. I mean, she does kind of look like a woman who would have been a runaway with mild intellectual disability who escaped from a juvenile detention center to go on the run with her weird uncle and his drifter abuser friend known for sexually abusing children. (laughs) Quite the description. (laughs) And Becky was just a nickname everyone called her. Like, your name is Frida Lorraine. How do you get Becky? I can understand, like, pipsqueak. <laughs> but where does... Okay, I'm sorry. I feel like he called her Becky. Like, she says everybody called her that. Maybe he had a hard time with her real name. <laughs> this woman has all the facts down about Becky's younger years and even introduces Vic to her husband, the trucker that picked her up. Oh, how romantic. Did that poster behind the husband say, oh, shit? It was bad footage, but I swear it just said, oh shit. Probably. (laughs) It all adds up for Vic because who would lie about such a thing and also recruit their husband in on the lie? They never talk about the husband again. Was that really her husband? Who the fuck was that guy? He's a paid actor. He flies Becky down to Austin to meet with a polygraph examiner who agrees that this is Becky. But again, I mean, those aren't. Yeah, or she's just really good at lying and before even waiting for dna results to come in come on vic (laughs) he goes public with this it's too bad does no one question why she waited so long to come forward he's been all over the news for almost a decade and she just now comes forward to say she's alive also if this is becky who was the body that lucas took them to in denton (laughs) vic never questioned that that was another murder victim (laughs) And when Phil Ryan questions Vic on that, Vic kind of sees the light. And while he's having another sit down with Becky, he asks his wife to look through her luggage. Sure enough, his wife calls an hour later and says she found a huge stack of letters in the luggage between Becky and Lucas. And throughout the letters, Lucas is just giving all the details she would know to take on the persona of Becky. I don't know where you get in your life where you think, It'd be a great idea to exchange letters with this murderer and pretend to be a dead girl that he killed. And the husband agreed to it. (laughs) If he's the husband. I mean, at this point, I'm just like, he's a man that they... He accepted 20 bucks. He's like, sure, I was a trucker and I picked you up. Her excuse is that she's in love with Lucas and will do whatever it takes to get him out of prison. Gag. Honey. (laughs) So clearly not her husband. (laughs) So yeah, her real name is Phyllis Wilcox. And even she thinks Becky is dead and that Lucas killed her. Anyway, she's a disgusting person and Lucas wasn't even the only serial killer she was talking to. Don't send letters to these people. I don't understand that in the true crime world. No, like there's no reason to fangirl. They're disgusting and deserve to just die bored and alone in prison. There, there are better prisoners out there. No, there's not. <laughs> okay, but We've if they watched don't, Love After Lockup. If they don't write out to them, how are we going to get more seasons of Love After Lockup? <laughs> how? Hmm? It's like maybe a tenth of those guys are okay. 
we come closer and closer to his execution date for the murder of Debbie Jackson. And because there's just so much doubt on him having committed this murder, then governor, tiny little elf, George W. Bush commutes his sentence to life. There have been, have you looked into this? There's been two more since then. No. One of them you're going to love because I know you know him. <laughs> you also think he's a piece of shit. Uh, first one was Kenneth Foster. He had his commuted in 2007 by Rick Perry. He was given the death sentence because he was involved with a party that murdered a man, even though he never pulled the trigger. Hmm. This seems fucking harsh to give him death penalty. I mean, the guy who actually did pull the trigger also got the death penalty. He I mean, was unless, executed, Yeah, unless still, you're like the Manson or whatever. Or you or handed the, him or, the gun. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, that's just kind of... And the other one is Thomas Bart Whitaker in 2018 by Greg Abbott. Thank you for not spitting on my floor when you heard Abbott's name. <laughs> Just washed him the other day. I'm sure you remember this kid. He was the rich, spoiled douchebag that pretended to graduate from college and recruited, recruited his friend to surprise him and his family when they came back from his graduation celebratory <gasps> dinner. Yes! His mom and brother were killed, and unfortunately for him, his dad lived, and Bart and his friends went to prison instead of inheriting his parents' $1.5 million fortune. And they have, like, oh, Fuck man. that guy. Why There's did he literally a community? picture of him at dinner with his family. Yeah. Celebrating, and Knowing he knows. that they're going to be dead. Fucking asshole. And he didn't, he had, like, dropped out of college or flunked out. But yeah. he was acting like, yeah, I graduated. Yeah. Just... His parents had bought him a house to celebrate and like a $4,000 watch. So all this work to get his death sentence commuted in 1998 really was for all for nothing. Because less than three years later, on March 12, 2001, at 11 p.m., Lucas is found dead from a congestive heart failure at the age of 64. He did. It's probably all those milkshakes, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> The last episode is just kind of tying up loose ends. We go back to Rita Salazar case that they covered at the very beginning of episode four. Because Lucas's death sentence was commuted, her family wanted the DNA tested so they can try and get another death sentence for Lucas. Eventually, the DNA is ran and it doesn't match with Lucas. Surprise. <laughs> Eventually, it matches to 51-year-old Benny Tahirina Jr., who would later plead guilty to the murder of Rita and her boyfriend, Kevin Key, in exchange for two 40-year sentences. I read that he mentioned another person might have also been involved, but we'll never know for sure because Benny died two months ago on October 23rd. You would never know he murdered two kids based on... The rest of his life? No, just the things people said about him, how great of a guy he was. And... Maybe that was his idea of... He got away with it Redeeming. for over 30 years and only served 10. Had a wife and two kids and other than a few DWIs, normal dude. And if he didn't have those DWIs, his DNA would have never been in the system. So kids, make sure you drink at home. Don't drive. Or get an Uber. It's so easy. <laughs> so the family members of all these other victims that Lucas confessed to are just like their worlds are knocked upside down. All these years, they believe Lucas killed their family members and were so angry at everyone who said he hadn't been this huge serial killer and the anger that they had at Bush, who commuted his sentence. Now none of them feel there is any justice. It's the not knowing. Yeah, they're just kind of left 
it's horrible if someone you loved is murdered, but you feel like, I don't know, maybe better to know who did it. So now there's just like this empty hole and you don't have anywhere to direct your anger. Anger. I guess maybe the Texas Rangers involved who just went along with this charade of blaming yeah. Lucas. I'd say maybe Bowell. <laughs> they go over more about how Lucas could have gained all this information for the cases he confessed to. Just basically the officers would send the information in about their cases. The Texas Rangers would give it to Lucas who would look over it all with his weird ability to memorize everything and then when the he sure as fuck wasn't googling it no and then when the law enforcement would come in to formally interview him he'd be able to confess with full knowledge of the facts the weirdest case that he was involved with was the murder of a convenience store clerk named betty thornton in arkansas they already had a guy charged for it named scotty scott oh <laughs> poor man who just happened to be the son of a police officer that's a dumb fucking name why would you do that to your child? They hated him. And it wasn't a nickname because if you look up anything about this case, like even court rec- records, it says Scotty Scott. I can see why he snapped. <laughs> His first trial ended with a hung jury in 1982. His second trial in May 1983 ended with him being found guilty of first degree murder and he was sentenced to 25 years in prison. He remained free on bond while he appealed his case, which makes no sense when you're found guilty of first-degree murder. No, you usually don't get bond on that. <laughs> so because his dad was a cop, of course, they don't want the cop's kid to go to prison. So that's when they ask around to see if Lucas knew anything about this case. In 1984, Lucas confessed to the murder. And based on this, Scott is granted a new trial, which would be delayed several years because of health problems. During this time span, Lucas then recants his confession, so for the third trial in May 1989, Scott is acquitted of all charges. While we don't know if Scotty Scott committed this murder, and I couldn't find anything about him, so he stayed out of trouble, I guess, it just shows how Lucas confessing to any case set before him could influence other murder trials and cases. And let murderers go free. Yes. There's an investigation on the Texas Rangers and the way the Lucas Task Force handled things, but of course, when cops investigate cops, they very rarely find any problems. We investigated ourselves and we found we did nothing wrong. The Texas Attorney General found so many issues where there were fuck-ups on the part of the Texas Rangers, and yet the Texas Department of Public Safety and Texas Rangers say, no, we're good. We didn't do anything wrong. This is all in the up and up. It's fucking ridiculous. Bob Prince even says, quote, I don't know of anything more we could have done on the task force. If we had to do it over again today, I guess we'd do it the same way. What? He learned nothing from it. Oh my God. So that's where we are. We know we killed his mom and we know we killed Kate Rich and Becky Powell because he Led the cops to the bodies. Right. There were actual bodies. <laughs> but other than that, eh. I don't think he killed anyone else. I would say at most maybe five more people, and that's being generous. But rewatching this with the uh, Yosemite murder, no. I don't think he did that one. No, absolutely not. Because, you know, you forget, like, the story and they were like we didn't give him any information but rewatching this it's like no but if you send information to the cops to look over first he got a hold of that yeah 
So that when you go there to interview him, yeah, he knows all the information. (sighs) I still hate him. He's just a dumb, gross man. There's been some cases that they've gotten DNA off of, and not one of those has been tied to Lucas yet either. And all of these cases are old now, so that the police probably don't want to be in a hurry to try and solve them. The sister of Debbie Williamson from episode 2 talks about how the Lubbock police don't even want to touch her sister's case, so she has to start a cold case group to try and get someone to look at it. Families should not have to try and solve their own family members' murder. Yes, that's ridiculous. I looked into the cold case group that was started called Cold Case Foundation, and their tagline is, Cold Case Foundation is devoted to raising public awareness and creating partnerships to assist and provide law enforcement whatever resources are needed to bring about closure. And the website's kind of bare. Like, it has information about, like, who is a part of it and all that, but there's no information about any cold cases they were working on. Which doesn't make sense when the tagline is devoted to raising public awareness. You'd think you'd want information out there to get more public tips, but I, I don't Maybe know. Maybe it didn't get very far. Funding? It says it's still going. Hmm. That is the end of this documentary series. Moral of the story is cops just want their books cleared and are just fine with murderers walking free. Yeah. As long as and the case is closed. Don't eat six milkshakes a day. And change it up, maybe. Like, if you have to have, like, six milkshakes. Strawberry. Yeah. Strawberry milkshake. Just take... Because you... Yeah, they said it was from Sonic, so... It might have been okay. That's just too much dairy, man. (laughs) Yeah, it is. He's just smoking, drinking coffee, drinking milkshakes. How is he not just, like, constantly shitting? Maybe that's why he got fat in prison. (laughs) Well, also, like... I mean, I can't imagine he's eating anything if he's filling up on milkshakes. (laughs) Jesus Christ, man. And not even, like, all cold milkshakes. Eat some fucking broccoli. (laughs) With those teeth? (laughs) (laughs) It'd have to be, like, applesauce, mashed potatoes, maybe steamed broccoli. But, like, really, really steamed. (laughs) Like, melt in your mouth. Mush. (laughs) Baby food. Gross. Uh, let's quickly finish up by discussing Lucas's partner in crime, Otis Toole. Oh boy. He was born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida to an alcoholic father and an abusive mom who would dress him in girls' clothing and call him Susan. Which isn't even, like, similar to his name. Like, why? <laughs> Otis, which, not a name you've heard before. No. You could have called him Sam and then, like, just as a girl named A boy him. named Sue. You know what? There it is. She figured it out. He was sexually abused as a child and claimed his grandmother was a Satanist, which sounds fucking awesome. He had an IQ of 75 and had epilepsy. He constantly ran away from home and was a serial arsonist. Around the age of 10, he realized he was gay, which must have made his home life even harder. He dropped out of school in the ninth grade around the time he says he committed his first murder and was first arrested at the age of 17 for loitering which might have been a result of him doing sex work. While living in Nebraska, he was one of the prime suspects in the 1974 murder of 24-year-old Patricia Webb, shortly after he settled in Boulder, Colorado. One month after that, he became the prime suspect in the murder of 31-year-old Ellen Holman, who was murdered on October 14, 1974. After this, he headed back to Jacksonville. 
January 14th, 1976, he married a woman 25 years older than him. She left him three days later when she realized that her husband was gay and he just married her to conceal his sexuality. How long did he think that was going to work? Hey man, beards used to work. (laughs) I think it was more of an understanding. (laughs) You don't just fake it. 1976 is also when Tool met Lucas at a Jacksonville soup kitchen. How romantic. And this is when they supposedly began their crime spree, killing people all over the United States. How do you even, like, link up with someone and discover you have the same, like... Well, that's like pedophiles. Like, how do they make friends? And and not... Because, I mean... How does that come up? (laughs) Yeah, it really, like, it's just not something you just mention casually no. like hey uh, you look like a weirdo are you into this yeah. <laughs> like, like what the fuck <laughs> one thing they don't go over at all in the series is how they committed these murders at the behest of a cult called the hand of death <laughs> there was no proof that this cult even existed but it is interesting that's a cool name january 4th 1982 82, Tool barricaded 65-year-old George Sonnenberg. I forgot how to say the name George for a second. (laughs) Gorge. Gorge, yeah. Tool barricaded 65-year-old George. What the fuck? George. (laughs) With a name like Otis. It's like... Like, I want to say Joel, and then I have to stop myself. In a boarding house where he was living and set the house on fire. Sonnenberg died a week later from his injuries. April 1983, Tool was arrested for an unrelated arson charge where he confessed to the Sonnenberg murder and was sentenced to 20 years in prison. I feel like with Tool away in prison is when Lucas felt like he had nothing left and just stopped caring because two months later on June 1983 is when he's arrested and just blows up with all the confessions. Yeah, I mean, he was probably lonely. He doesn't have Becky and now his weird best friend lover is locked up tool also goes on a confession spree because he sees all the attention lucas is getting in april 1984 tool is found guilty of first degree murder and given the death penalty not sure for what and later that year he's found guilty of the february 1983 strangulation of a 19 year old tallahassee woman and receives a second death sentence on appeal Both sentences were commuted to life in prison, so nobody wants to send these people to the chair. He would later plead guilty to four more Jacksonville murders and receive four more life sentences. And then there's the whole confession for the murder of Adam Walsh. I was waiting for that one. Yes or no? No. Okay. (laughs) The only evidence the police ever had was lost. I think they said it was a machete in a car. I don't know how do you lose a car. And there's been no new evidence since or even DNA linking him to the crime. All they have is Tool saying he did it and Lucas saying Tool did it. And they're both well-known liars. So that was good enough for the police to close the case. A little boy just doesn't fit. It just doesn't. (laughs) No, because he's killed like all young women. And then one guy who I think he said that he had a relationship with. Yeah, no, a little boy doesn't fit. I I do not believe he killed them. No. Tool died of cirrhosis at the Florida State Prison on September 15th, 1996, at the age of 49, and we're fucking done with this story. I like like that they died young. 
It's like vindication. Karma. Only a few years apart. Like five years. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And I guess since Christmas is Sunday, when this goes out, I know you had a freak look on your face like, <laughs> I have so much shopping to do. there was more time. <laughs> is there a New Year's episode of Murder for the Holidays we should cover? Probably. Okay. I think that's because yeah. it'll be past Christmas. I don't yeah. want to do it. New Year's always brings out like the, the drunks with guns. Yes. <laughs> it's Texas. There's always somebody who fires off a gun in the air and then somebody else gets hit. Oh, we'll find something. Okay. All right. We will be back next week. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye, Henry. Thank you for listening to Doc to Me. The opening music is by Twisterium. For comments or suggestions, we can be reached by email at doctomepod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at doctomepod and find a link to our Facebook group in the show notes. Thank you.